Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special edition of the Saltonite Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro. Today, we will be playing some of our favorite conversations from the spring of 2022. We start the show by speaking with Susie Duenas. She's the producer of the popular web series Catholic Central and Lente Católico, produced by Family Theater Productions. If you haven't heard about this show, stick around. After that, we will meet singer-songwriter Jackie Minton. In our second half hour, author Fiorella Di Maria tells us about her latest novel, This Thing of Darkness. It's a story that imagines actor Bela Lugosi's last days. And at the end of the program, we reconnect with Bob Halligan Jr. of the band Kaylee Rain, who released their ninth studio album this year. Remember that you can listen to all our programs at eselmedia.org slash podcast. You can reach me by email, pedro at eselmedia.org. You can also reach me through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just look for Deacon Pedro. We begin now with Catholic Central. If you're a parent or a teacher, I'm sure you've struggled to find good, solid Catholic media content that is also entertaining and fun for your children or students. Maybe you've come across Catholic Central. In fact, maybe you heard about it on this show about four years ago when, uh, when that show was first launched and we spoke with Libby Slater, one of the hosts of Catholic Central. But if you haven't heard of Catholic Central, stick around. Catholic Central is a web series that offers answers to questions that we all have about our faith. It is hosted by Kai Johnson and Libby Slater, and it's written by an excellent team of witty writers. The result is a series of videos that are both entertaining and educational. In fact, they say that they offer enterforming insights on all things Catholic. Catholic Central is now airing on Salt and Light Television. And so, to tell us more, I'm now joined by the producer of the show, Susie Duenas. Susie, welcome to the Sultanite Hour. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. It's an honor to be here. So, so you know what my first question is going to be. Like, what, <laughs> what is enterforming? Yes, you know, it's a funny word, but you think of the word entertaining and what comes up. It's, it's media content. It's movies. It's music. It's TV shows. We had the idea that what if we took the Catholic faith and we made it entertaining, we made it digestible, so that people who do have these questions of the faith have this resource that they can access when they're tasked with the daunting idea that, oh, you know, I don't know much about the doctrine of the the Catholic Church. What if there was a way that you could go around that and find a solution, make it easier for you to Mm -hmm. understand? Then enter Catholic Central, which is, as you mentioned before, a free web video series that seeks to offer these authoritative yet entertaining answers to these questions. Yeah. And, and we keep, we keep saying entertaining. And I think that if people haven't gotten, <laughs> if they haven't gotten it, <laughs> I mean, it is entertaining, but I think it's important. And you use the word authoritative, of course, it's solid Catholic teaching. It's, it's informing, but it's also forming in terms of formation, right? Um, helping people understand. And and I know that we are going to say that it's for young people, but it isn't. It's really for, for anyone who who needs the faith digested. Maybe that's not the term, but, but <laughs> it, it, it kind of explained in a way that's easy to, to explain. Um, 
do you know a little bit of the history? Like how, how did the idea of Catholic Central, I mean, you, may, you mentioned that you thought of something that would be entertaining, but why this particular format, two hosts? Like, what does the show look like for someone that, who has never seen it? Yes. Well, we are based on YouTube. And what an episode will usually look like is we'll do a, a skit at the beginning that in a, in a nutshell will give a little hint about what the episode is going to be about. For example, if we were doing an episode on baptism, we might have a skit about someone being baptized and trying to find a way to respectfully and yet entertainingly explain it to the audience. Then once we go past the skit, we'll begin the informative aspect of the episode, which is rooted in the theology of the church. Mm -hmm. And now how Catholic Central actually came to be is that a few years ago, one of our executive producers was perusing YouTube and noticed that a lot of the content creators were moving towards creating web-based educational series. And he thought, well, this is what the world is looking at. This is what they're interested in. I think that we could do that with our faith. Yeah. Yeah. And you have, you've done a, 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 an excellent job. I'm, I'm trying to imagine your role, Susie, as producer and, 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 and how do you come up with with ideas how do you like what is that what does it look like to be in that room with with the writers with the, with the director you yourself I don't know if Libby and 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 Kai are part of that process how do you come up with ideas and you use baptism for example like how do you make that entertaining sure well as I'm you know it's all rooted in in the doctrine of the church. So we'll usually go to the catechism, which is the Mm -hmm. foundational document. That's where all the teachings come from. But we absolutely do sit down with the writers and we say, how can we take this topic and make it relatable to someone? So that could be uh, putting a specific uh, scenario in, in this episode where, oh, you know what, at this baptism, uh, one of the candles fell, fell from the, uh, <laughs> from the altar, we you know, the right. water spilled on the floor, and I almost slipped and fell, but, or, you know, things like that. Yeah, but okay. uh, yeah, that, that sounds like a, a fun process. Um, you have tons of, I mean, you cover, you, you've done like, I don't know how many episodes, 60 or more episodes, um, and lots of topics, proof of God, virtues, prophets. I mean, people can just go to the website and see there's, there's even uh, topics that are maybe you wouldn't think that are specifically about the faith, like dealing with mental health, um, uh, scriptural stuff. I mean, as you said, that you really cover, it's not just doctrine necessarily, but it is rooted, rooted in the catechism. I said earlier that it's not just just for young people. So who who is the show for? Who are you thinking of when you're when you're writing this these episodes? Yes, well, you know, ideally, and what we aim to do is is we hope to reach everyone with these videos. Mm-hmm. However, we've noticed that there's this is a great tool for personal growth in knowledge of the faith, but it's also been a great tool for educators, for teachers, for parents who want to help their kids become more knowledgeable in the faith. We've gotten comments on YouTube from people who are from in in different countries. We've gotten comments from students in certain classes that will say, hey, my teacher made me watch this, but I'm glad that she did because I'm really enjoying this. 
or we'll get the occasional, you know what, I just stumbled upon this. I'm going to college and I just want to thank you so much for bringing this content to light. Yeah. And you are reaching uh, people around the globe, not just in English, because there's also a uh, version of the program in Spanish, Lente Católico. Why was it important to to make the show available in Spanish? Yes, well, Lente Católico, as you mentioned, it's Catholic Central's Spanish counterpart, but it, it same way that it, it, Catholic Central aims to bring the faith to the audiences. Uh, what the beauty of Lente Católico is, is that we're able to cover topics that are relevant to cultures within the Spanish-speaking world, including certain devotions and traditions. For example, I'm Mexican, and we have a great devotion to Our Lady Guadalupe, mm -hmm. and we have Las Posadas at Christmas time, thing, things and traditions that usually would not be made aware in the English-speaking world, we have in the Spanish-speaking world. Yeah, and, and you're right. So, so, so that people don't think that Lente Católico is not just a translation of Catholic Central, but it actually, there are, there's different hosts, it's a different script, there might be even different topics, like you mentioned, posadas or things that are specific to... Uh, to people who, who speak Spanish or come from Spanish-speaking countries, like myself. Um, <laughs> tell, tell us quickly, Susie, in the time that we have left, uh, for people, our listeners, that maybe are not familiar with family theater productions, um, what is family theater and why are they producing shows like Catholic Central? Yes, absolutely. Well, Family Theater Productions is a production company that's located in Hollywood, and it was actually founded in 1947 by Father Patrick Payton, who was lovingly known as the Rosary Priest. And many people know the phrase, the family that prays together stays together. He was the one that, that coined that phrase. But he was humble and passionate and a very strong figure who thought that he could reach families and generally people around the world and teach them to pray or to impact their lives and inspire them to unify themselves as family, as a community, And we're continuing that mission today. Yeah. And he did great work and he's, I think we can say that he's still doing great work interceding for <laughs> us and for you guys at family theater as, as you continue the mission that he started. Susie, it's been great uh, talking with you. Nice to meet you. I hope we get to meet in person soon. Um, and thanks for the work that you and the whole team of family theater are doing. Um, it's, it's wonderful. Thank you, Deacon Pedro. It's been a pleasure to talk talking with you as well, and I hope to meet you in person very soon. Susie Duenas is a producer at Family Theater Productions. She's a producer of Catholic Central and Lente Católico. You can learn more and watch all the videos at catholiccentral.com for Lente Católico. It's lentecatolico.org. I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. And if you want to learn more about Family Theater Productions, you can go to familytheater.org. If you missed any part of this conversation or to listen to it again, visit us at our website, eslmedia.org. And here now is our featured artist of the week, Jackie Minton with Carry You from her latest album, Earnest Voice. Don't run if you don't have to walk to your feet won't carry that I won't 
Jackie Minton with Carry You from her latest album, Earnest Voice. Jackie Minton broke into the pop folk scene about six years ago with her debut EP, Searching for Now, when she was just 19 years old. In 2019, she set out to crowdfund her latest EP, Earnest Voice, which we've been listening to and that she recorded during the pandemic. Jackie is very much a songwriter, and I am very happy to be able to welcome her to our show. Jackie, welcome to the Salt and Light Hour. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me, Deacon Pedro. Pleasure so, to be here. Um, it's so good to have you on the program. T- tell us a little bit about growing up. Uh, what, was, what was it like growing up? Gosh, I grew up in Arlington, Texas, so right outside of Dallas in Fort Worth, um, suburban sprawl as far as the eye can see. Um, but my parents always encouraged me to do music and it, it ran in my family, especially on my mom's side. She has three sisters that were, or still are choir directors. Okay. So there's a, a lot of singing on that side of the family. And I think being raised around that and then when I showed an interest in it, then my parents were very encouraging. And um, I, it's a bit embarrassing, but I grew up, of course, listening to like Kelly Clarkson, Taylor Swift, um, you know, the pop stars of my era. Yes. And so when I first heard um, their music, specifically, I think it was probably Taylor's, um, for better or worse, and realizing that she was the one writing those songs, I was like, Mom and Dad, that's it. I want to stay, start taking guitar lessons okay. um, so that uh, I would have some way to express the ideas that were coming interesting. to me. How, how old yeah. were you around that time? Um, I was 11. Okay. So you were having the, because I want to ask you about songwriter, about being a writer, but so you, you were having these ideas, these thoughts, and you felt that you needed to actually learn the music so that you could make sense of those thoughts? Yes. Yes. And I think even I, I'd always enjoyed writing um, as a kid, but it wasn't until I had um, the language of music to put along with it that it started to click. Okay. um, Yeah, that makes sense. But the, yeah, the very first night I had a guitar, I was like numbering the strings, trying to write melodies. Oh my gosh. um, Even though I had no idea what I was doing. (laughs) So, but you mentioned that you have aunts that are choir directors. Were you singing in the choir at church already? Was that already happening? I was not. No. I was not actually. Um, That is something that is still um, very funny to me that 
I really, I fell in love with music before I fell in love with Jesus. Um, or I received the gift before I knew the giver, um, of that gift. And so after, um, I would say I was probably around like 13 or 14 when I started to have a personal relationship with the Lord. Um, and so then the next probably I got, I guess even like still today, I like wrestle with that, like that he wants to bless music. Um, and that that was something that he gave me and desires me to use, you know, whether or not the songs are explicitly about him, mm-hmm. um, it was definitely a process of prayer and, um, and transformation in my own heart of realizing that it's a gift that he desires me to share. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit more of that, about that conversion, if I can call it that, that absolutely was it because of the music? What do you think that the music had something to do? Like he was almost like he gave you the music mm. so that he could bring you in closer or, or no, mm. what, what was that experience? I like? think, I, the very first moment, I don't think that music necessarily was a part of that. I was on a retreat um, that mm-hmm. my mom had signed me up for when I was in junior high <laughs> um, and just had a very personal, you know, simple encounter with the Lord and realizing yeah. that he was a um, person that desired a relationship with me mm-hmm. um, and that I desired a relationship with him. Um, but then that journey of discovering how music was a part of that, um, I think, grew um and different opportunities from them it was like became a slow merging of the two worlds that i'd seen as separated but were so completely intertwined right um, that he had given me the gift and was continuing to open doors and the very first song that i wrote for um someone that was asking me to write it wasn't just me writing for myself was my church Mm. um where they had asked me to write a song for a parish mission that we were having and that's Um, I'm listening, which is on my very first project, Searching for Now. But Mm. it's been this continual journey of um, walking with the Lord and seeing how much he's in it with me and um, paving the path and going before me in all things, but especially in music. Yeah, of course. That's been amazing to discover. Do you see, I mean, obviously you're always writing, but do you, do you see a progression in your own spiritual life from searching for now to earn his voice? And like, how do those two connect in terms of that journey that you're on? Oh man, it's a great question. Yeah, I so I haven't thought about this before, but um, but what comes to mind is that in searching for now, there are like very explicit songs that are about Jesus, like I'm listening. And then there are other songs that are explicitly not um, like one step more, just like classic pop love song. Right. Um, and I still have both flavors in earnest voice, but they're both, they're more mixed. Um, okay. The love songs that I have, could you could think about them from the perspective of the Lord or our approach from from a place of prayer and maturity. Um, yeah. And and then also the the songs that are about the Lord are also veiled um, yeah. more so. So, um, so yeah, it's like that starkness of the difference between them and then that like them kind of becoming more intertwined and in a way married in yeah. the earnest voice. Is the earnest voice your voice or someone else's voice? Ooh. <laughs> I've thought of it as mine. Um, okay, okay. Like yeah. it's an invitation of the, from the Lord to use my voice earnestly. Yeah, of course. Um, but 
That's yeah. a specific question. <laughs> I suppose it could be his earnest voice too. It's, pr- it's probably else's. both. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Um, because you have because you because you have a voice. And I'm not I'm not gonna say that you're not a musician because you are, but I do think that you're a, a more of a writer. You can correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, you have a mm. whole poetry project, and that's just words. Tell me about right. that. Tell me a little tell us a little bit about the project, the the project 52. Thank you so much for asking about it. Um, <laughs> it like still baffles me that it exists um, because I didn't write poetry. I mean, I've always, when I picked up songwriting around the age of 11, um, I never stopped and was always writing in that kind of verse form. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of my good artist friends, um, Melanie M- Mitchell, she's married now and has a different last name and I pray that she'll forgive me for not remembering her new last name Um, but um, she is an incredible songwriter and she mentioned this book called The Artist's Way Mm -hmm. that's all about um, creative healing and right around the time of the album releasing was when I started to read the book and it's broken down into weeks of prompts and reflections to just take, you know, a chunk at a time, um, really inviting the, the book is not written from an explicitly Christian perspective, but recognizes that the creator of the universe was the first creator and therefore desires us to create more than we even desire to create. Um, and so right, like, wrestling with and chewing on these um, big thoughts and bringing, you know, that prayer to the Lord uh, and being encouraged to write that something mm. that the book does is, is just like brain dump first thing in the morning, yeah. um, a couple pages. And so um, having that kind of space to just let my mind roam and to, um, and to walk with the Lord, but also to just like see like the massive field of creativity and just be like, we're just going to (laughs) play. And this isn't for anyone. This is just, you know, between me and Jesus. And so much poetry came out of that, that eventually it came to a point where I was like, I have to do something with these poems. Okay. Um, And, and just seeing that it was some creativity and specifically the well of creativity, the Lord himself, Mm -hmm. it's, it's bottomless. It's um, never ending. And Mm -hmm. as often as we go to that well, we make space to listen, to write. Um, Is it proportional to how much we can pull out um, and discover? That's wonderful. So you you post a different poem every week for 52 weeks, um, which is wonderful because then it's not just what's coming out of your well, but the mm. Lord is also speaking to you through those poems. Um, and I presume that some of those poems might end up being set to music. Um, I know that you're going back in the studio uh, to do, uh, to work on a project called Genesis. We don't have time to talk about it now, but I'm, I think that's good because it means that we'll have an excuse to bring you back on the show. Oh, good. So that good. you can so tell excited. us all about it. Um, <laughs> I don't know how quickly you're going to be recording, but just, just let us know because uh, we really like what we hear. And, uh, and it's always so fun to bring people back and, 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 uh, and see what you're, what you're doing. Um, oh. Jackie, it's, it's been really good meeting you. Thank you. Thank you for sharing a little bit of, of, of you today with us. Of course. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me.
You can learn more about Jackie Minton, purchase her music, stay in touch with her at her website, JackieMinton.com. And it's Jackie, J-A-C-K-I-E, JackieMinton.com. But I'll put that link on our site so you can find it easily. And of course, you can also find her on all streaming and all social media platforms. Um, if you missed any part of this interview, you can head on over to our website, slmedia.org slash podcast. All our programs are archived there. And here now to take us out is Jackie Minton with the title track of her latest EP, Earnest Voice. Fear was the easy choice that stole away my earnest voice. Made of silver and glint and gold, of treasures I told, but if you have heard my soul. No fear, oh, love, come near. I whisper in your ear when you're ready to hear. Peace is riddled and rock destroyed. But we both know there's more to life. The war was over years ago. This is a special edition of the Salt and Light Hour. I'm Deacon Pedro, and we're listening to Jackie Minton with Earnest Voice from her album of the same name. Check out our website at slmedia.org slash podcast. Welcome to the Salt and Light Hour Part 2. I'm Deacon Pedro. Fiorella de Maria is an award-winning novelist, writer, and radio broadcaster. We met her a few years ago when her novel, See No Evil, the third in the Father Gabriel Mysteries, was published. Now Fiorella has a new novel co-authored with Kevin Turley titled This Thing of Darkness. In it, they take us into the world of classic horror cinema and the shadows that haunt the main characters as their histories and destinies begin to intertwine. To tell us more... I'm now joined by Fiorella de Maria. Fiorella, welcome back to the Salt and Light Hour. It's lovely to be on the show. So tell us a little bit about the story. What is this thing of darkness about? Well, if you imagine, it's Los Angeles, it's 1956, and you have an English journalist. She's a war widow. She was a GI bride, you know, came to America for a new life with her American husband, He's disappeared in the Korean War. She's all alone, has a lot of demons, a lot of struggles. And she is asked to do a series of interviews with the fading horror star, Bella Lugosi. And over the course of the book, over the course of these interviews, she starts to become very suspicious about what is really going on. And she's questioning her own sanity. But various other figures come into the story to assist her or challenge her mm. but right through to the end of the story it is not at all clear what is actually happening to her 
Yes, and I and that's the sense I got from reading it as well that it that that it was very much towards the end that everything started falling into place. But let me ask you why. I mean, I'm not. I think I'm. It's fair for me to say that you're not. Horror is not your genre. I don't know if you would say that this is a, a horror novel. Um, maybe you would. But why? Why Bella Lugosi? Why go into this direction? Well, I was rather dragged kicking and screaming into the horror genre. It's not at all my genre, as as you've already um, suggested. I'm really a writer of historical fiction and. Mm and more recently crime fiction with the Father Gabriel mysteries. But my friend Kevin Turley, who's the co-author, is fascinated by the horror industry. He knows every movie, every director, and he was the one who came up with the idea. What about writing a sort of alternative history of Bela Lugosi, who, of course, is the actor who is famous for Dracula? In fact, it's the film that defined him and was both a blessing and a curse to him. All our images of Dracula, even today, are based on Bela Lugosi. Even the Dracula in um, in Sesame Street <laughs> is right. Bela Lugosi, no, if you think count. about it. Yes, yeah. that's true. Uh, the Count, yes. Um, and initially, I was extremely sceptical. And that is why, in fact, the English journalist, Evie, is also sceptical. Mm-hmm. And her question, her first question when she's asked to do this is, Bella who? Uh, right. Because that was my first question. I had no idea who Bella Lugosi was. I'd never seen the original mm-hmm. Dracula film. Yeah, so this was a huge departure for me and, and a great journey. And in fact, I got very drawn into this, as, as one does really with, with the horror genre, and ended up thoroughly enjoying co-authoring the book and it was a very interesting experience co-authoring as well of course and i mean i mean you did define yourself as a historical novelist i mean it's this is not history but there are historical aspects to it mm. correct yes yes absolutely because it is set in the 50s and of course it is it surrounds bella Lugosi's life story and he was very much a man whose life crossed the 19th and 20th centuries and the old world and the new world you know he came from well he didn't in fact come from Transylvania that was a bit of a construction but from very near to Transylvania and then coming across across of course to Hollywood and much of the research about Bella Lugosi's life was done by Kevin Turley I did most of the research about the Korean War which of course looms very large because in the book, of course, you get this constant conflict between the real horror of the two world wars, of what was going on in Korea, but also the horror that's being unleashed upon the world by Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that that's uh, the, the, the choice to go to, to, to write something about the horrors that for a lot of people are very real. You don't have to go to the movies to, to experience horror. And, and those are worse. Um, yeah. is, is that what you and Kevin were hoping to do to dealing with these topics in a way that was, I hate to say, it, but maybe a little more fun as we sort of imagine what the last days of Bela Lugosi would have been like? Oh, there's, no, there's certainly an, an element of entertainment to it. You know, we are interested in, in Hollywood and in these, in these actors. And so th- that aspect of it, the way they made the films, the whole background through which Bela Lugosi 
entered the, the world of acting. Mm. It's, it's interesting. I mean, I very much uh, I enjoyed some of my favourite parts of the book to write yes. were those early passages where he's in the circus and yes. uh, he's yes. making those early films in, in Germany during the Weimar Republic when all of that was just starting. Right. But Kevin and I had a lot of conversations about that possible link between that darkness of the horror genre that really had its birth in Germany during that interwar period mm-hmm. and all that occult activity and, and stuff that was like that that was going on at the time and then the very real horrors of Nazi Germany that followed mm-hmm. uh, and so many of those actors and directors ended up caught up on either side of that conflict right. uh, when 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 Hitler came to power right is there is there a connection with faith? Oh, absolutely. And one of the reasons why I think it's so important for Catholic writers to be writing in this genre, because I was going to ask you that. Yeah. Too. Well, a lot, every time I'm interviewed, I'm asked, that, you know, what is a Catholic girl doing writing, <laughs> writing about horror, but uh, something KV and I, uh, Kevin and I talked about a lot is that we are uniquely positioned to write about horror because for a start, we understand the reality of the supernatural. Mm. And the reality of the demonic in our lives, you know, we are aware of that threat, but we are also aware of the communion of saints, the fact that we don't have to face these horrors alone and unarmed. So I think Catholic writers definitely should be writing in this genre. So so would you say that part of the novel is a, is a warning against sin or dabbling in the occult or pride or, or, or performing in horror movies, I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I think there is certainly a warning there about the dangers of not taking the occult seriously. Okay. Um, that it's possible. I mean, there's that early scene, and this is completely fictitious, where mm-hmm. the young Bella Lugosi is trying to start a seance, you know, and they're all in the, the barn with the candles, and his father comes in and drags them all out of the, the barn, and it, it ends rather anticlimactically. But that was completely fictional. I just made that up. But yeah. Uh, but it, it is a warning that you can't partly dabble in the occult. You know, it's it's wrong, it's very real, and it's extremely dangerous. So I suppose there is that warning there. But the Miraculous Medal is on the front cover of the novel for a reason. Yes, yes, because, of yes. course, and I don't want to give away too much about what happens later on in the novel, but what you do see is that there is also blessing and there is the, there's the work of the Holy Spirit going on in Evie's life mm-hmm. without her realizing. In fact, she thinks she is completely alone because she's a widow, because she's been bereft in this way, mm-hmm. but she is never alone. And even in the, the moments when she is in the, the most terrible mortal danger, she is not alone. There is always someone there to stand, stand by her side. Yes, and I think that that's, you can correct me if, if if I'm wrong, but what makes it Christian or Catholic is that it's that the characters are redeemed or or have the option of being redeemed. Again, I'm not going to give away the ending. Yes. But but uh, it doesn't end in horror and darkness that we are no. moved beyond that. Um, Fiorella, thank you for for telling us a little bit of, of, about this. I was very intrigued when I heard about about this novel. Um, and and read it over the Christmas break, which, 
<laughs> I'm not sure that was the right time, really. Not, not the best thing to read over Christmas, but uh, definitely entertaining, as you said, and uh, very much food for thought. It has moments of of, of deep horror, I think, but mm. the horror is not yeah. what happens in the movies. It's what happened, you know, in 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 the lives of real people uh, because sure. of the war. And so, um, thank you for opening the door for us so that we can. Uh, face some of that because i think that's maybe a warning too running away from our past or not mm -hmm. not willing to face some of our own demons is also uh something that we should not do we should face our demons sure absolutely well thank you it's been nice to be on the show again yes good to see you fiorella de maria is the author of many novels including the father gabriel mysteries series her latest is This Thing of Darkness, co-authored by K.V. Turley and is published by Ignatius. Here now is our featured artist of the week, Kaylee Rain, with I Can Believe from the new album Crash This Game. I'm trying 
That was Kaylee Rain with I Can Believe from their new album, Crash This Gate. When I first started getting into the world of Catholic music, I heard about Kaylee Rain and was amazed by the mainstream sound of their Celtic rock blend. We met the founder and lead singer of the band, Bob Halligan Jr., 12 years ago on this program, and at that time, he had already been doing music for over 30 years. It's been a long time, but Bob Halligan has not stopped. And now, Kaylee Rain has a new album, which we've been listening to, Crash This Gate, their ninth studio album. And so to tell us more, I'm now joined by Bob Halligan Jr. Bob, it's so good to have you back on the program. Well, it's so lovely to be invited there, Deacon Pedro. Thank you very much. Yes, you... Um, and I, I hate to keep saying this, but you've been around for a long time. Yes. Um, you had, a, I think, uh, a, a pretty good secular career or a career in secular music before Kaylee Rain. Um, right. Were you, were you always Catholic or did, was there a conversion that took place there somewhere? Well, it's both uh, yes and yes. I was born in Our Lady of Victory Foundling Home not too far from, I suspect, where you live, in Lackawanna, New York. Okay. Uh, so I was born in a Catholic building and adopted at age two months because I was a foundling. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, yes, I've had a, a, a long history as an altar boy, choir boy, lecturer at first Friday mass, kid most likely to be a priest, um, girls intervened on that one, but well, one girl in particular, Linda, who I'm married to now 46 years. Wonderful. Yeah. Amen. And, um, Linda, in fact, precipitated my becoming more excited and focused and faith filled. Um, after we got married, she was going to prayer meetings on Wednesday nights. And, and I, I was sort of jealous, like Jesus was the other man kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and I said, tell me more about that. And so, you know, actually having Jesus other than in church and religion class and CBA and whatever else, um, was new for me. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm, a you know, a, a praying unceasingly sort of fellow and have been for many, many years. So this was happening before Kaylee Rain. So what was oh, yeah. what precipitated the forming of the band? I believe 1995 was when yeah, Kaylee Rain came exactly together. Yeah, exactly right. And, and um, my wife, Linda, suggested that I combine my newfound love of Celtic music with my rock and roll. Okay. To which I responded, well, if you want to kill my career, you'll have me do that. And uh, in fact, it got me very excited right away. And I knew that there had to be a spiritual component to the lyric. And I also wanted it to fly in any faith world and in any non-faith world. 
right. meaning um, I wanted Kaylee Rain's audience uh, to, if we played in a pub, to, yeah. you know, have a beer, have a Guinness. But if they so chose and sort of smelled the a spiritual aroma that they might imbibe a different kind of spirit mm-hmm. with us. Yes. And so, and I had people early on say, well, Bob, you should decide, is this going to be a secular band or a Christian band? And I said, I have decided it's going to be Kaylee rain hmm. and it's going to be for everyone, not just people who make the sign of the cross or, or, or revile that notion or whatever it is. Right all God or no God, you know, we, we want it to be for one and for all. So for people who have no clue, why Kaylee? What's, what's the meaning of the word? Uh, two things to say about it. A Kaylee is, is a Gaelic word that refers to a party. Think of like a wedding reception mm-hmm. where there's music, uh, there's dancing, there might be a bit of alcohol. Do you know what I mean? Just a bit. And um, but Chaley, C-O-E-L-I, which you may know from the Latin of heaven, like something celestial, right? right. So w- we mean the band and then the rain part is obvious. So we mean it to be a downpour of heavenly partiness. Yes. And that's what it has always tried to be for one and for all. It has been that absolutely yeah, um, cool. sometimes more partiness than heavenly, but, but sometimes more <laughs> yeah. heavenly. Um, so, so I, I don't know if I knew that you were adopted. So, yeah. I mean, because I was going to say, well, Halligan, that sounds pretty Irish. Yeah. Um, but you don't know if your heritage. I do. Actually, I oh, do. I, I'm 200% Irish. Uh, you, you are. All four of my parents, both adoptive and, and oh, biological. Wonderful. We're 100% Irish. So so uh, that love of Irish music, I mean, it's in your blood. You yeah. grew up with it. Um, right. You could have gone into, I mean, you could have just done any kind of music and made it Christian or not. Yeah. So yeah. It, was it as simple as I love Celtic music? I love Irish music? Well, you know, I didn't really love it until Linda was playing it around the house when we were in our 30s. And okay. um, so that was the point at which I thought, well, let's mix it in. And because uh, I'd always done the rock and roll, uh, you're since you're doing a podcast, your audience cannot see behind me. Yes, that's various true. gold and platinum records yes. on the wall. There All are nine of them. Way. Yeah. And uh, I've sold over 30 million units with records by um, Kiss, Judas Priest, Blue Oyster Cult, Joan right. Jett, Cher, Michael Bolton. Rebecca St. James, who's a Christian artist, mm-hmm. songs in movies like uh, Wayne's World included in them, uh, half a dozen feature films that have featured my songs. I've sung on commercials. I sang before the Pope in uh, I'm doing my elevator speech here. Yes, Sorry. you are. You, and uh, you, I but, know, you know, you, I, I mean, I you've been around the block a few times. Yeah. Um, and and, and I, I, I wasn't kidding when I said, I mean, quite quite the career since i mean before kayla rain but even since because you continue uh as a songwriter for for other artists as well um i'm I'm a little i'm looking at the clock here bob just wondering worried that we're going to run out of time and not talk about the new album um so so why don't what what is what is new so this is your ninth kayla ninth ninth studio album yeah what what's what's different about this album 
Oh, gosh. I, I, it's just uh, another hunk of cheese off the same giant wheel of cheese. So it's, <laughs> it's not really anything different, Pedro, it's just, but it's, it's a more it's, heavenly, heavenly partiness. Well, yeah. And it's it's just whatever are the best 12 songs that were available to me and our okay. group at at this moment. So that's what's different is that it's this year's model, but some of the songs are from 20 years ago. Okay. Okay. So, so, I mean, you're, it's fair to say that I think you're a song, you're a songwriter. I don't know if you think of yourself as a songwriter first, first and foremost, um, but I presume that you're always songwriting then like there's always yeah. music inside your head. Um, was the pandemic uh, uh, especially fruitful or difficult time for you? It was fruitful. In fact, there are three Pando songs on the record. Um, one of which is called 10 million and, uh, mm -hmm. starts out, um, uh, 10 more days of being here all alone are feeling more and more like torture. I worry about the, uh, on and on, I, I forget it, but, right. um, so three songs sprang from it. Uh, um, many did, but three have made their way onto the, the record and, um, they still apply, but I mean, we're not out of this yet. Yeah. And uh, um, so, mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's fruit wherever you care to look, if, if you kind of know where to look and, and you're mm -hmm. in God's space and time and, and excited mm -hmm. about what's to come rather than, come on, I wanted X or Y or Z. God gives you what he gives you. And, and it's, you got to be excited about it. Yeah, absolutely. Why crash this gate? Okay. Um, the song is written about when our son, Liam Halligan, joined the Marines, and they have a sort of crucible couple of days of to test them in the end of their boot camp to be sure that they have the right stuff, if you will. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mama and Papa Bear were not able to be there, of course. And so reaching across, I said, you know, if if I could, if there were any way I could, I would crash this gate for you. I would hoist this weight for you. I'd take your steps and sweat your sweats and give all that's left for you. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it mirrors the love that our big father has for us. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's that kind of thing. And, and the, the album artwork isn't done yet, but it's going to be a, a, a wrought iron gate um, with the word fear somehow emblazoned, you know, curling, yeah, curling yes, through yes. this gate that we have to crash through. And that's what the, a lot of what the pandemic has been about for right. me personally is crashing through the gate of fear that, that the father and son and Holy spirit insist that we crash through because God is saying, you know what, my, my arm is too short to manage this. It's not strong enough to knock this baby out of your way. Yes. So, and, and it's a daily struggle for me. And I think it is for lots of us. It is. It is. And uh, we, we're very blessed to have music like yours to help us Thank in you. that struggle and inspire us uh, as we muster up the strength that we need to crash the gate. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Bob, it's been it's been good chatting with you. It's good seeing you. You look great. Um, Th and, Thank uh, you, sir. 
uh, thank you for doing what you do. And I know that you're going to keep doing it. So I'm, we won't wait another 12 years before we have you back. on. The Excellent. Program. I like the sound of that. Thank all you, right. Pedro. God bless. You too. You can learn all about Bob Halligan Jr. and Kaylee Rain and find out when their new album, Crash This Gate, will be released at their website, KayleeRain.com. And Kaylee is spelled C-E-I-L-I, Kaylee. But I'm going to put that link on our site so you can find it easily. If you missed part of the interview, head on over to slmedia.org slash podcast. All our programs are archived there. Here now to take us out is Kaylee Rain with the title track of their new album, Crash This Gate. I've cleared a path the best I can But you must work with your own hand To see this business through Get where you're going to You set aside the childish things Now this bold endeavor brings Things only you can do But if I were able to I'd crash this gate for you listening to Kaylee Rain with Crash This Gate from their new album of the same name. And that concludes this special best of edition of the Salt and Light Hour. Remember to visit our website, slmedia.org, in order to find out everything you want to know about us and how to support our ministry. We can't do this work without your support. You can find me, Deacon Pedro, on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And you can write me to just say hello. You can email me, pedro at slmedia.org. Thank you for listening to this special edition of the Salt and Light Hour.